Have you ever bombed so bad that your girlfriend's lowering her face, hoping that no one makes the connection that she's with you? Because that's where I was in life. <laughs> like I can literally watch her like in shame and disgust, like just lowering her eyes, not trying to look at me. He's a stand-up comedian who hosts, who hosts his own podcast. He has a Dominican-American upbringing and is also an active member in the NBA 2K community. Please welcome Juan Carlos to the podcast. How are you doing today? Man, I've, I'm ecstatic. 2K23 came out a few days ago. I'm ecstatic, oh, yeah. Man. I'm looking to get myself a copy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got MJ on the cover and everything. A couple WNBA oh. stars there. Not so yeah, no, sure I, uh, how I feel about Devin Booker on the cover, but <laughs> that's a topic. I, I had to put myself on a budget this year, so I, I got the Devin Booker version. Yeah, yeah, I like. I feel like they always try to get it out of me because you know I'm a Lakers fan, grew up in LA, and so when they came out with, I guess I was 21 and mm-hmm. had Kobe on the most expensive version, I was like, oh, you know what you're doing. <laughs> now I have to get the most expensive version. Of course, of course. And so, you know, just first question to get it started for your career. How did you first get into comedy and learn that that was something you wanted to do? So it's funny. I, uh, it wasn't, I kind of stumbled into comedy, if I'm being honest with you. Like I, yeah, I was, so what, what ended up happening is, uh, to try to make a long winded story as short as possible. It first started when I was uh, 16. I, I went to like a, a talent show with my best friend. Mm-hmm. and uh i hope this guy whoever this guy is hears this story because i've told it a few times now um there's this guy who decided to do stand-up as part of the high school talent show and i remember watching him thinking wow this guy's awful um <laughs> he was he was really bad i remember uh he had this one joke uh where and, and look you know what it is now that i that i do stand up i kind of understand what's going on we, really what it was is he didn't know how to write a joke but i didn't understand that at the time i was just like a kid in high school i was like this guy's not funny but he had this one joke about extreme bibles and he kept saying extreme bibles and like kept trying to make that a punchline but didn't understand how to like quite get it there but i think that was the first time that i sat to myself and i was as i was watching i was like i can do that like i that's something that i can do and then fast forward a few years later um I had a, a buddy of mine, I like, I had mentioned to a few people, I was like, Hey, I think I want to try stand up. You know, I want to go to an open mic, but I had like, was being really shy about it. Like, you know, I had, you know, it's kind of scary to get up on stage and make yourself vulnerable the first time. And a buddy of mine who coincidentally um, had been on uh, MTV made. I don't know if you remember that show. I don't, I guess that's too, I'm too young for that. Yeah. <laughs> I just over, aged myself. My <laughs> but anywho, he had been on uh, that show. Uh, like I'd hit him up. And I was like, hey, man, I saw that you've been doing comedy. How do I get started? So he, like, gave me all the details to an open mic. And uh, I showed up and a bunch of people from my job uh, decided to follow me to this open mic and kind of forced me up on stage. They're like, no, you're doing this. And it was kind of it was this weird thing. But, hey, it went well. And uh, I've been at it for a while now. Yeah. And and so did you was that just kind of like spur spur of the moment trying stand up or did you kind of have you had you started writing jokes before oh no kind of had prepared i had been planning for that moment for like three years (laughs) so i had jokes written out no 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 but like for three years i was like i'm gonna go do this i'm gonna go do this but like i just never got up to do it but so i did have jokes in my pocket they just weren't very good jokes Mm -hmm. because you know i i have no experience with comedy but from what i've heard a big part of you know 
fine-tuning jokes and learning which jokes are good, which jokes you should probably workshop or even get rid of is performing them, is using them in front of an audience. And so I'm sure just, you know, trying to write them by yourself or even with just a small group is probably harder than, you know, actually getting to field test it. I will I will say this. Uh, that is absolutely true, first and foremost. But um, the longer I've done this, the more the easier it's become. You know, like mm-hmm. um, I'm a lot better now than I was, say, even six years ago at writing a joke and looking at it and go, no, that's funny. You know, <laughs> like yeah. with this, it was and, and I, I would say I'm not saying that, like, I'm 100 percent right all the time, but my hit rate is a lot higher than it was even two years ago. You know, two years ago, I write a joke I'm like I think that's funny. And then I'd go try it a few times and it was like, no, no one thinks that's funny, dude. Stop. Don't don't yeah. tell that joke anymore. You know, whereas now, yeah. like I can write a joke and with, I'd say a decent amount of confidence. I was like, no, that one's going to get it last. Mm-hmm. And, and so you you said that you hadn't really thought of comedy being something you wanted to get into. Was there anything else you were thinking of for, you know, a career, you know, outside of school? Oh, my God. Yeah. So it, it's funny because. uh what I really wanted to do, believe it or not, was work in baseball. Um, every Dominican's dream, right? Yeah. Uh, most most of my cousins want to play in the majors. I just wanted to be in charge of my cousins. Uh, so that's what that was. I uh, tried really hard to get a general manager position. And uh, I went to school for it and, like, tried to get interests and stuff like that. And it wasn't working. But more than anything, um, comedy really was became an outlet for me. Um, it It just kind of became a way of, like you know, expressing all these ideas and feelings. And, you know, it was, it kind of became a de-stressor and it was very addicting too, like just being up on the stage and like, yeah. you know, you get that laugh and then you kind of just want to keep going. So it, 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 that's what I'm saying. It just came out of that. It wasn't, yeah. I didn't go up the first time and go, this is going to be my career. I kind of just did it. It was like, I really enjoyed this and kept doing it. Next thing I know, I'm like, oh, I, I guess I'm in it now. <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, you, you now have plenty of ex- experience, even though it took you a bit to get into it. So what tips or advice would you give to people just starting their comedy career or just planning on starting one? I think the first, a few things here. Uh, first is uh, be consistent. If it's something that you're interested in, uh, you're going to be bad at it for a long time. I mean, let me rephrase that. Some of you might be the next Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart. I don't know, right? Like, I don't, I'm not going to hear, I'm not going to speak on your potential. I'm not going to say any of that. But for the average person, you know, the rest of us, you know, just stay consistent because it's just a lot of work and, uh, you kind of have to, you can't be afraid of bombing because uh, you kind of learn a lot more from uh, having bad sets than you do from the good ones. Because sometimes you have a good set and it's just, it was just an easy audience, you know? But if you're consistently yeah. having bad sets, you kind of have to take a step back and look at it and go, what am I doing wrong? Is it the jokes? Is it the material? Is it the way I deliver? Is it what I look like? You know what I mean? There could be so many factors. And then um, also I'd say, uh, be humble and network. You know what I mean? Like, I think some mm-hmm. people walk in and think that, uh, you know, they're the greatest things to ever happen to comedy and comedy has a way of, you know, reminding you that, uh, you know, that this is hard. Like, you know, yeah. I, sometimes I'll go, you know, a long time. I'll, I'll go sometimes months, you know, I'm just having great sets. And I'm just like, yeah, I figured this out. I have a handle on it. And, you know, you do one show and it reminds you that you have to stay humble in this, in this arena. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just, you're just never going to appeal to every audience. I mean, sometimes even the big names bomb. You, you, you still, yeah. was it like a yeah. few years ago? I think Tiffany Haddish bombed at a show she was headlining and something like that. You know what I mean? And that just yeah. goes to show you. And she's a phenomenal comedian. You know, that's not a dish on her. It's just, you know, it happens to all of us. And you just got to stay consistent and be humble. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you kind of brought up that first experience of, you know, getting up on stage with those people from work. What was that show like? What was that first live experience like for you? 
so okay so a few things here um i started out in new york city and uh it was this tiny tiny bar i think it was called old man hustle in new york city i don't even know if it's still open but it, it's like uh the best way to describe it it's uh imagine like a subway car or like a train car right yeah all right yeah I got but one it's mind. really skinny and half of the floor space is taken up by uh, the bar <laughs> so you can see how tight that is you know what i mean and then yeah. i had like a little stage in the corner and you kind of you know it, people would like pack in there and you just kind of got up there and uh and you know and you did your jokes every wednesday mm-hmm. and you know did you sort of i guess did that sort of become like a constant for you like every every wednesday get up there every wednesday you know learn which jokes are doing better which jokes are doing bad and try to find him that oh no you think that people are supportive when you do this oh <laughs> let me tell you that's not how this works <laughs> oh god no you know i so look there are people who will be super supportive uh, when you start out right like that i'm not mm-hmm. i'm joking around but the especially in new york uh i've you know i've done comedy in quite a few different cities and i think new york's a different animal right um because there's so many people who are competing for a finite amount of spots so it's kind of a it's it's kind of a a bit of a rat race but the cream kind of rises to the top you know Mm -hmm. um and the reason new york is like that is because not only does new york have its comics right like the people who are starting out there who were who developed there who you know came up in the new york comedy scene um also, like generally, a lot of the best comics or a lot of really good comics from other scenes tend to move to New York once they feel that they're ready for New York to try yeah. to pursue their dreams. So it, it, you kind of have a lot of that. And then a lot of working professionals live and work in New York. You know, a lot of like professional comedians that New York's their spot. And I'm yeah. not saying that you're competing with them, but, you know, if you think about it, you know, they are still doing rooms and, you know, and, and taking yeah. up spots. Um so you don't, I wouldn't say that you really get a lot of that. You kind of have to, and I think New York's very segmented in that like every area has their local comedians, you know, like the local comedians you see in Brooklyn are, are very different yeah. than the ones you see in the West Village or whatever. And then it's not to say that comedians don't travel. I'm just saying that, you know, people tend to work out in their own bodies. All, all that to their, say, you know, comedians, how they tend to stick to, tend to like yeah. go to the shows consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all that to say that, uh, no, there wasn't any of a keep going up. You know, you kind of had to like, yeah. motivate yourself and push yourself to keep working. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was it sort of like for you trying to find, you know, like you said, a finite amount of spots, trying to find gigs that you could play, venues to perform at? What was that sort of initial hustle like for you? So I had a non-traditional path in that. You know, in my infinite um, humbleness, you know, I, I decided yeah. that uh, I was going to enter a comedy competition, you know, after only having done six or seven shows, because clearly I was the funniest person well, that, that I had like ever met. that seems like a perfect amount of experience. Oh, know. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was clearly very ready um, for this show. And uh, I remember doing the show and it was awful. Like, have you ever bombed so bad? That your girlfriend's lowering her face, hoping that no one makes the connection that she's with you, because that's where I was in life. <laughs> like I can literally watch her like that's in shame tough. and disgust, like just lowering her eyes, not trying to look at me. Um, but the good thing that came out of it was that uh, the guy running the show, now he wasn't uh, per se like uh, he's not a big name comedian or anything like that, but he had been doing it longer than me, and he needed a little bit of help because. Uh, what he was doing was that he had started out in Washington, D.C., had come up to New York, 
and was creating his own rooms and running them to like kind of create his own opportunities. Yeah. Um, he needed help doing that and he brought me along. So I was able to work with him. And uh, my first couple of years, that's kind of how I got my stage time. It was a combination of like putting on my own shows and my own events and performing on those. And then networking with the people who were coming through to perform through my rooms. And I, you know, and I met some pretty cool people, you know what I mean? People who, yeah. you know, like have for all intents and purposes are now touring headliners, you know, just yeah. doing that for a few years in New York. Yeah. And so, you know, how, I guess, it seems like that was very valuable to you. What is sort of a lesson that you took from that, um, from those, that time, you know, just running, helping run rooms? Honestly, I think the biggest thing is that, you, you know, if you want something bad enough, you can't let people tell you no. And if no one will give you an opportunity, you have to create your own opportunities. But also, um, you really learn a lot about the business side of comedy, right? Like there's the talent, the art, the part that everyone sees, but no one talks about like, you know, having to understand ticket sales, understanding marketing, yeah. you know, promotions, keeping budgets, you know, making sure that, you, you know, you're paying your art. Like it's, there's a whole business side that you know, you, you, I kind of, I, I would say like a kind of comedy MBA, you know what I mean? You, you kind of learn on the fly as you're figuring these things out and having conversations, especially in such a competitive market, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, with that story you just brought up about bombing real hard, I mean, that could be the instance, but has there ever been an instance or been a show that really made you like second guess if comedy was the right move, if you were making the right call? <sighs> Wow. <laughs> many, many. Yeah. I was going to say for comedy, maybe second or third or 400th <laughs> guesses. <laughs> no, it's, 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 uh, I, I've had quite a few shows and, and sometimes things don't go with you. I think for me, the hardest ones are auditions. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes you prepare for an audition and you think you're ready. And the day of things just do not go as planned. Like I've auditioned for clubs and you know, didn't get it the first time around. So now, you know, yeah. and it's a very humbling experience because you're like, well, I thought I was ready, you know, and then other clubs, you, you go on and, you know, you have low expectations and then you just have one of those magical nights where every punchline's hitting and the club's like, yes, yes, come work here. We love you. You know what I mean? So it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of those. I think I, <laughs> I recently, I don't want to say which one, but I recently auditioned for a club and uh, I personally felt that it went well, yeah. but I wasn't selected to move on. You know what I mean? And that just means that, I was like, oh, you know, I took my time. I, I felt sad about it. And uh, an hour later, I was writing jokes again. And, you know, I already got a new date set up so for my next audition. So I'm just yeah. going to keep working to get there. Yeah. And I think you kind of have to have that work ethic that, you know, desire to keep going, keep uh, persevering through, you know, anything like that. Any person trying to tell you no or give spots to other people. And so that that perseverance, that sort of hard work, dedication, is there any one person that sort of instilled that in you or did you just sort of find it on your own? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, my parents were immigrants to this country and I think uh, growing up just watching them, it, it's kind of instilled that in me. I, 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 I think, you know, like I watched my, um, my mom, she had me kind of young. So I kind of got to grow up with her. Uh, I watched her go through college and, you know, go through grad school while having a full-time job and, you know, raising me. You know, I watched my dad, you know, build a business from the ground up. So I think I've had those opportunities, but then also within comedy, um, it's almost like there's this almost uh, toxic and culture. And I don't, you know, it's not 100% toxic, but kind of yeah. it can be in that, you know, especially in New York, there's this like uh, 
everyone's kind of like trying to one up each other. Like how many, how hard did you work this week? Like how many shows were you on? You know, how, how many mics did you on? When was the last time you yeah. took a day off? You know, and, and, and you get into these competitions, you watch some people who are doing five, six, seven sets a night, seven nights a week. You know what I mean? For like X amount of time. And, and there's this, a lot of that. And when you're in that, I don't want, again, I don't want to call it a rat race again, but when you're kind of in that situation, you know, if you take a day off, you kind of feels like you're not working hard enough. You know? So it's just, yeah. it's just one of those things, you know? And sort of just the reminder that, you know, there's always someone working harder. There's always someone going out for that next gig rather than, you know, taking a break, trying to rest for a minute. Yeah, I know. A hundred percent. Are you so, trying to get into comedy? <laughs> no, I, it's not something I've thought of, you know, um, I think, you know, my TikTok algorithm thinks I am because it constantly <laughs> gives me stand-up clips and I right. do enjoy them and I do end up following creators because of that. But um, I think, you know, it's just, I don't think, you know, I don't want to say I don't think I could do it. It's just not anything I've looked into that I've tried out doing. Um, you know, I do think I can be like funny with friends, but I haven't really mm -hmm. tested that um, and by any means against like an audience or yeah. anything like that and i will say um, that's something that people do to me often like they'll test their jokes out with their friends and then they'll come to me and think it's funny and it, they don't understand that part of the reason why you're funny with your friends is because uh your friends know you they know who yeah. you are and so there's like all these like unconscious like inside jokes that don't yeah. translate when you try to tell those same jokes to an audience because they don't know you they don't they can't get you they like the hard thing about comedy jokes. is like coming into this room of people who don't know you and within seconds or minutes trying to connect with them and you have approximately mm, i'd say 30 to 90 seconds to connect with the audience before they tune you out forever yeah yeah and you know it's either it's either that or you know you're going into a room where people don't know you and you're being super vulnerable you're talking about <laughs> life experiences you know yeah. downfalls things like that and so um and now i wanted to get into you also post your own podcast yes uh called the revisionary podcast what's sort of the you know story behind that how does it work uh everything like that so in a so one of the things that i discovered by, uh, about doing comedy is that uh i'm very much a storytelling comic like i love telling people stories and uh i kind of wanted to manifest that into a podcast you know and i sat there and i thought for a while i was like what do i want to do with this podcast right i thought i wanted to do a comedy podcast because that seemed like you know the avenue that i've clearly chosen yeah but after thinking about it for a while, I was like, no, I think it's storytelling is where I want to focus. So I, I created this podcast where the whole point of it is that people will join me and uh, they'll tell uh, nonfiction personal stories about their lives in which they wish things had gone a little bit differently. So like, you know, something I don't I try not to use the word regret because, you know, yeah. people don't necessarily yeah. regret their choices, but they wish things didn't necessarily happen the way they did. Yeah. And they get to tell the story as it happened the first time. Right. Then um, we kind of discuss the story. And the second time, uh, they'll retell the story a second time. And uh, the second time, they can change any facts or details that they want about the story. And we kind of like, and that gets kind of fun because you get to see how people are creative and like what what aspects are it. Because sometimes it's never the thing that you expect. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. you're like, uh, it'll be like a guy ended up in jail, you know, because he was drunk driving. And it's like, it's never the like, oh, the drunk driving that they regret. It's more, uh, you know, they, they wish that they had taken an Uber or like, you know, they wish they hadn't hit that person. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. always, or they wish yeah. they hadn't gotten caught. Like, those are the things. It's, so that's always been fascinating. So it kind of came out of that. It was just that need to put storytelling into the world. Are you a music artist trying to find a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible? Then check out 
DistroKid. DistroKid is a super user-friendly and super easy-to-use service that will make your music available in stores like Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon Music, YouTube, Snapchat, everything. Everything you could imagine, it's available. People will even be able to add your songs into their Instagram stories. DistroKid helps you with the distribution, monetization, and promotion of all of your music. Use the link in the description of this video for 7% off any DistroKid package you want. Pick from musician packages designed to help artists get their own music out there, or even get a label package where you can manage up to 100 artists from one profile. So that's more for like managers, labels, and you can also get the musician package that I mentioned earlier, which is more for artists, producers, things like that. And super easy, and you can get 7% off any package right now with the link in the description of this video. So once again, if you're looking for a way to get your music on as many streaming platforms as possible, I'm talking any platform you can think of, get DistroKid and get 7% off right now with the link in the description back to the program did you just sort of think of that or was there any you know moment that made you like have the idea have the you know whole um setup or set you know it's funny i uh i was think i just thought about it for a long time and i think the idea that like really comes from like uh as you get older you you start to think back on moments in your life when uh you've done things and like I, I was like thinking of like some like uh, especially like with relationships you know, like things that you've done that you're like ah, I probably treated could have treated that person better or you know I probably didn't handle that situation better and I was just kind of like trying to fight the urge to reach out to these people because like you know once they've lived it they don't need to relive yeah. you doing terrible things so what am I I'm not going to apologize 10 years later not because I don't feel like they deserve an apology but because I feel like in some ways that's selfish and they've already like kind of dealt with it and I don't need to bring it up again. So I wanted to create an environment where you kind of could, you know, apologize, if you will, without necessarily like, you know, making that person yeah. relive it. So that's kind of where the idea originated. And then it kind of expanded to include all sorts of life. So and which is fun, because then you get funny stories, you get, you know, really sad stories, you, you yeah. get, it, you kind of just run the gambit of everything. You, you get to sort of have a variety of content. It's not like you're sort of stuck in one, one type of story you know having the same demographic each time you can branch out to different types of people different types of stories so no 100 <laughs> percent. and and so you know i i sort of brought it up earlier i guess tiktok all these social media platforms a lot of people are promoting themselves their podcasts or comedy on it and you know that helps them grow i guess what do you think that does do you think that's just another way for comedians to sort of gauge which jokes work and which don't or do you think it sort of removes the live aspect of comedy so i actually think that uh it, it's a great way to find your people because uh i will tell you uh two bits of advice that i've gotten and i'm gonna name drop real quick so just strap All in right. <laughs> right. the first is from trevor noah um I asked him once what it, uh, you know, what advice would he give a new comic? I think I, I just started comedy maybe like a week prior. And I remember you, you don't want to like, say it, but you're like, tell me what to do. Give me advice. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember you're looking like, at know, him and he if, goes, if someone else, you know, not, not me, but if someone else was just starting comedy, what advice would you give them? Oh, but that's exactly what I did. 
And he goes, yeah. are you starting comedy? And I was like, no. He goes, oh, so you're just asking me advice to give other comedy comedians that are starting. I was like, yeah, 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 that's what I'm doing. But the advice he gave me was uh, to be consistent and be yourself. And he was saying that, like, uh, what you want to do in comedy. And I don't know. Look, uh, by the way, just for those of you listening, I'm not saying that these are opinions he holds today. I'm saying there was a moment in time and this was the conversation we had. Um, but he was saying that you should uh, just be yourself and eventually you build your audience and people who like you and not to try to fit into the mold of other people. Because when you find that support and you find people who like you for who you are, that's when you really have, you know, like that's when you kind of really take off because you can, you know, kind of sell shows and become self-sufficient. So that was that. And then I, I remember uh, the second person was Mencia, Carlos Mencia, uh, who pulled me aside and uh he the advice he gave me was to like keep working and and kind of like hone in on one area and now you're wondering why I'm, I'm bringing this up with the tiktok here's why it's because i think that if you like some people will argue that the tiktok and the social media kind of takes away your focus from where it should be which is the writing and being on stage and being present yeah. in comedy in on comedy and then stand up, right? Which is kind of what, like, when Steve was telling me, and I'm not saying he's anti-social media. I'm just saying, you know, he was telling me, like, focus on one lane and, you know, work on it, right? Versus, um, I think it all, it goes well with what Trevor was saying, which Trevor Noah was saying, because um, you're building your audience by, you know, using hashtags, putting your personality, you know, essentially the people who follow you on TikTok, even if it's only one person, two people, those are people who generally like you for you or who you are, or like you for the content that you are creating. So it begins, you know, that opportunity to create kind of your, your like network, your community. And that's, I think, the most important part, because once you've established yourself and you build that community, those are the people who support you as your career grows. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I think that's definitely important to sort of stay yourself so that people find you. Because I think, you know, at times, if you if you keep trying to jump around from thing to thing, like maybe you'll find fans. But if you drum around to another fan base, mm-hmm. the fans you already found, like that's not what attracted them in the first place. So they're gonna drop sure. off. Well, hundred percent. Yeah. And and so, you know, when you're sort of writing a new joke, when you're trying to workshop and find which jokes were which which jokes work, <laughs> which don't, um, what does that sort of process look look like from, you know, first thinking of a new joke to having it as a refined, you know, ready to go joke? Right. So first and foremost, uh, people say that it takes a while to find your voice. And I think that's certainly true. Um, I think uh, the longer I do this, the more I kind of know what kind of lane to stay in. You know, I kind of know how to think. So I can, you know, when I hear, when I think of a joke in that kind of, I guess, in that space, I know it has a higher sense, uh, not sense, higher chance of success. Right. So start there. Um, they all, you know, you're supposed to start writing every day. And what happens is you write a lot of bad stuff. And eventually out of those bad stuff, you'll get like nuggets. So a lot of it is really more, I'm constantly thinking about a comedy, like I'll be driving, I'll be taking a shower, I'll be at the gym. Okay, I'm lying. You've seen what I look like. I'm not at the gym. <laughs> but, you know, I'll be at work, or, you know, whatever it is, I'll be, yeah. you know, like, I'll be at the bank, whatever it is, wherever it is that you're sitting, you know, and I'm constantly thinking about comedy and jokes and situation and kind of trying to pay attention to everything that's around me and what's going on around me you know because sometimes it could be as simple as like uh you know you know you sometimes it'll be as simple as like you you sit there and you see a bird eating you know chips out of a bag and you go 
and and then you start thinking oh okay you know this bird must be really hungry oh i remember when i was hungry oh you know what i mean oh i remember how you know i just we necessarily we didn't necessarily have everything i grew up a little you know a little yeah. poor as you know all of a sudden you know what i mean it takes you down that line yeah. that time for me you start writing the joke but once i write the initial joke i uh, will usually try to run it by a few uh comedians that i trust you know and i'll get their feedback i'm like oh what do you think of this you know what, what this is what i'm thinking this is what i want to try you know, and they'll, they'll like, uh, give me feedback, like, Hey, I, I don't think that'll work. Or, you know, you're off base here. And then once I have like a semblance of that, I'll go on stage and I, and I make sure I record every, uh, every time I do it on stage. And the stage is actually where I do the, be uh, my best refining because, uh, it's kind of my natural, uh, comedic instincts kick in. Yeah. So I'll self, self edit, like I'll write a joke one way. Sometimes I'll self edit as I'm telling it on stage, even if it's the first time. And I, I go, Oh, okay. This is kind of, and you kind of just fill out the audience. And then uh, after you do that, you kind of have to rewatch the tape and you can do things like cut words out, you know, for word economy, or like uh, you can say, you can just restructure it by like moving it to a different part of uh, a different part of the set, you know, and you start kind of doing that little, those little things. And I do that for a few months until I feel like I'm getting a consistent amount of laughs on a joke. Then I'm like, okay, this joke is, and I don't want to say done because it's never done. Yeah. comedians will say that a joke is never done until it's on your special so it's not done but i will say i do reach a point where i'm like okay this joke is at a place where i'm happy with it until i'm ready to like come back to it and retinker with it and mess around with it a little bit later mm -hmm. and so have you ever had a joke that you were kind of talking earlier like that got feeling that you think you can kind of suss out which is, which jokes work which won't have you ever had a moment where like you think one's like good that it'll work and you've brought it to people who didn't really agree with that or thought that it might not work all the time i i once wrote and, i remember i once wrote this joke and i thought it was the funniest joke that i had ever written i was like this is it this is the one that's gonna you know take me to fame and everyone's gonna get me gonna, my special 100 percent. that's what i thought it was i was like all right call netflix on the phone i'm ready you know what i mean matter of fact i don't even want netflix money i want hulu money right now let me just get it <laughs> <laughs> and um I remember uh, writing the the joke. It was something stupid too. Uh, and uh, I I, I uh, got on stage. I tell the joke, and then I kind of like did one of the like one of these where like my eyes widened, like expecting the audience to laugh, and they all like politely looked at me. And I waited. I was like, oh, no, 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 I I don't think you understand how this works. I, I tell jokes, and then you laugh. That that, that, yeah. that was the punchline. And, and yeah, so I guess, yeah, so how did that sort of feel in the moment? How did you overcome that? Did you, did you go back and try to refine the joke or did you just sort of, you know, set it aside? So every joke is a little bit differently because sometimes I'll, uh, I'll write a joke and uh, it won't, you know, like, I don't think, I don't think it works now, but I'll put it away. And you never throw away a joke. You, you'll learn this. Never throw away a joke. Because the longer you do comedy, the better a writer you become. So sometimes you'll think of something that you think is funny. And there's a reason you thought it was funny, right? Mm -hmm. And it might not work for a variety of reasons. Like maybe you didn't know how to write it properly. You didn't know how to connect with the audience properly. Like it just, it could be a variety of reasons. But anyway, you, I, you, what I'll often happen is I'll put it away. And then years later, as I'm looking through my notes, I'll go, oh, that was funny. Why didn't that work? And then I'll rewrite it, you know, using my, I guess my updated writing skills. And yeah. sometimes that'll make a difference. I like one of my, my closing joke now, 
I actually wrote about three, four years ago. And when I wrote it, people didn't get it. It was too, like they were confused by it. And I now understand that it was because I was trying to explain something kind of complex. And I was using too many words to like explain it instead of just yeah. simplifying it. And once I did that, the joke started hitting, you know, a lot differently. And also like a different life experience happened to me at that time that helped me add a different layer to the joke. So that's what I'm saying. You just, it's a lot of the, that stuff. Yeah. And, and so I guess, you know, it might be hard for you to answer, but did you ever have a specific show or a specific moment where you, you know, really thought you were killing it and it was a great show? And do you have a show in mind that you think is like, you know, I don't want to get into too many superlatives, but like your best show, like that you just really think you killed at? Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm going to talk about two moments. Um, the first is, uh, I think it was back in 2018, might have been 2019. Mm -hmm. I did, uh, I was performing out at Levity Live uh, out in, um, where is it? It's somewhere, I don't want to say upstate New York because it's not technically upstate, but it's north of yeah. New York City. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Are you in New York? I don't. I'm, I'm in New York. Yeah, I'm like sort of outside the city you know quick train ride into it but i'm not in the city okay. i i'm so happy about that because i know <laughs> i can never live in the city and so um yeah but even though like i said grew up in los angeles and i moved here and even after years of living here i'm still iffy on geography i don't want to say anything because i'll be you know i'll talk to people and i'll be like yeah i went upstate and they'll be like are you sure and i'm like no no i'm not <laughs> sure actually <laughs> no that wasn't upstate um, no, uh, that's how I feel. Yeah. It was, uh, God, it's whatever counties after Westchester. I don't, it's the one when you go over the bridge. Uh, there used okay. to be the Teppan Z Bridge. I don't know what it's called now. I think it's called the Cuomo Bridge or something like that. Anyway, not yeah, important. Yeah, Mario but Cuomo Bridge. I'm doing this show, right? And it was, uh, I remember it was a sold out show, 450 people in the audience or 400 people in the audience. Um, the largest crowd I had ever done. And uh, quite honestly, I'm a little terrified. You know, I remember sitting in the green room. Um, I was opening for uh, Marcus Banks, who's a really funny guy. Um, he tours and opens for people like Leonard Lutz and uh, Mike Epps. Like, you know, he's one of those guys. Really funny guy. And uh, I'm sitting in the green room and someone comes in and goes, hey, Jadakiss just walked in. He's sitting in the back. And I'm just like, the rapper? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I'm terrified. But point is, I finally got up there, and in retrospect, I wish I had recorded it because I don't have this on tape, but I would be willing to bet that I wasn't that good. Like, you know what I mean? I wasn't that yeah. good. But I felt like I was killing because the thing is with an audience of that size is that uh, once, you know, a certain smell, you only need about 30 people out of 400 to laugh because once they yeah. start laughing, the laughter kind of spreads. Yeah. And I remember feeling electric when I got off that stage. You know what I mean? Like I messed up some of my jokes. I like tripped over, but it felt really good because all the laughters were real, like was really hitting. And it, it, it really resonates when it's like 400 people just kind of laughing in your direction. Like it kind of hits you in yeah. the chest in a way that I can't even describe, you know? So yeah. I would say that. And then the other time is uh, more recently, um, I actually recently started doing stand up in, uh, in Spanish, like all Spanish. And I uh -huh. remember being really nervous the first time that I went up to do it. Um, but I but I opened for uh, Daniel Sosa, who's like a, 
a really big uh you know comedian down in mexico uh the first time he like has two netflix specials and everything and i did 20 minutes in spanish out the gate which just for a point of reference it took me six years just to get to 20 minutes in english but my first time out in spanish i was like yeah 20 minutes got this and it went really really well and that was really special because it like i felt like I didn't have to explain a lot of the cultural elements and just like being able to communicate in Spanish just kind of gave me all these tools that I didn't have I don't necessarily have in English yeah. and that was very freeing so I think those are the two shows that always stick out to me in my head when someone's like what was it like when you were like just like killed like I just felt like I, all the words were just yeah. coming out of out of thin air and like I don't know I was being used as a muse to deliver it just felt sort of more natural to you to do it in Spanish than English I don't, I wouldn't say more natural. It was just different. Like, I just, I I feel like I just connected with the audience in a way that I had never experienced before. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It was like this kind of like unified experience where we're all like, oh, because I feel like I I told, when I tell jokes in English, I tell a lot of uh, jokes about my upbringing and my culture. Yeah. There was a, but there's an element of explanation that I have to do before every joke. So people understand and can kind of come along on the journey. But in Spanish, I didn't have to do that. It just removed that pressure. And that was very freeing. Yeah. You, you sort of, did you find that you could sort of more just focus on the joke rather than sort of the context you had to give or the background or? Like- yeah, I could focus more on the joke, but then there's the, <laughs> there's the, uh, in English, I don't think about culture ever because I live in the yeah. United States. So when I like, so yeah, when I'm explaining something about like la- Latino culture, that's one thing, right? Like I have yeah. to explain that, but I don't worry about things like my accent or the words that I use because it's just all American, you know, all yeah. American words or like an American pattern of speech, right? So I don't think that. But when I was performing in Spanish, all of a sudden I'm just like, oh God, there's so many people from so many Spanish speaking countries. So I had to like be very aware of not like falling into like slang from the Dominican Republic so that, yeah. you know, people from Mexico or people from Colombia or Venezuelans wouldn't understand what I was saying. And that was a, it was a different challenge, but you know, it was like a different focus than the jokes. The jokes I was like, oh, yeah. those could just fly. Yeah. And so. Do you sort of have one like dream venue or show that you could play? Like if you sort of got the chance to, you know, pick any venue that you want to do a comedy show at, uh, what would that venue be? I can't narrow it down to one, but I can narrow it down to four. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Let's hear all of them. (laughs) In no particular order. uh, Caroline's on Broadway in New York City. Um, The Comedy Cellar in New York City the uh comedy store in la and uh the laugh factory in la yeah and you know i i guess i mean you can give me like reasons for each of them if you want but i think for the laugh factory is it just sort of the i guess history that's there like you've seen all comics like huge and small go through there you know find their start find certain jokes of theirs um, that, no, I mean, like, that's what it is for all of them. It's it's just the history and the stature. And it's like, I feel like every big name comic that you can think of has performed at generally all four of these places, if not at the very least two or three of them. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, if I were able to do all four of those, that's kind of when you're just like, oh, like, you know, I'm on the path of like where, you know, people don't have to Google me anymore. They just kind of yeah. know me, would, you know? Would that sort of be like if you got to do this, would that sort of be like your I made it moment almost? You know, it with comedy is hard, right? There's no like clear I made it moment yeah. because there's people who've yeah. done those places who you and who you and even I might not have heard of, you know, and they're working comics um, who make their living off of this and are, are very successful. 
So I wouldn't say it's that, but for me, I think that would be a personal moment of like, you know, all the time I've spent on this is now, and I don't want to say worth it, but like, it's kind of like uh, validated is the right way. I have something to show for it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, yeah, those are all the questions I had for you today. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, anything you got going on, comedy, podcast, anything you, you got like that, plug it so people know where to find you. Um, and then, yeah, thank you again so much for coming on. Sure. Um, so one of the big things that, I, uh, that I've been working on is uh, I've been working with the storytelling community. I'm actually in the process. I can't say with who, but I'm a, I actually just did a workshop this morning with a major, major organization teaching them how to do storytelling. And uh, I'm actually... Uh, putting together I'm co-putting together a storytelling show um in a in November 4th uh mm-hmm. out in the Seattle area so if you're in the Seattle area please come check it out it'll it's going to be a really cool event you guys can follow me on Instagram Juan Carlos Comedy um same on TikTok and uh I don't tweet very often I'm not really a tweeter I need to become better at that but you yeah. can follow me it's J Carlos Comedy yeah, well, I'll leave a link to that some a link to some of that down below. Yeah. Thank you so much again for coming on. It's been a great time. Um, yeah, and I can't wait to see this, you know, show in Seattle coming soon. Yeah. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, of course.